My wife was telling me that she took six pages of notes, and being the wet blanket that I am, I told her that now she has to read through all of them and obey the Lord. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> please pray for Ramona. <laughs> all right. Um, so. I have not really researched this greatly, but I think the reason it's called Cowboy Church is because the guy who's teaching fancies himself a cowboy. It's not because the people who show up are cowboys. So welcome to African Church. <laughs> my, my mother, when, whenever, whenever my parents come to visit, which is quite infrequent, for those of you who do not know, I'm originally from Zimbabwe. And when my mother comes to visit, she, she always brings me something like this, you know. And I honestly do not have any occasion in my life where I would wear something this bright. I do not like being the center of attention. So, um, And so I determined, exactly, I determined, hey, when I'm preaching, I kind of am the center of attention. I have to be. And so I've decided to wear all of my mother's bright shirts whenever I teach. So... Um, if you have any feedback on that decision, uh, keep it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let us pray. Lord of hosts, we thank you for this time. We come humbly before your throne of grace. And Father, we, we, we are amazed by your love for us. We are amazed for all that you have done for us in spite of all that we have done against you in spite of all that we do against you you are gracious you are good and your mercies endure forever and so we praise you Lord we ask that you would open our ears open our hearts open our minds to your word this morning I pray that your word would go forth with power with the power of your Holy Spirit Minister to us as we have need. And Father, we will continue to praise you. May we praise and serve you until our dying breath. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so our, um, our text for the retreat was Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. And uh, a lot of you were not at the retreat. So we are going to do this sprint through um, the first four chapters so that you guys get an idea of what we taught. And then we'll slow down a little bit in the last chapter and, and pick at it block <laughs> by block um, so that all of us have you know, heard teaching on First Thessalonians, right? So that's that's the plan. Um, and because it is a longish letter, well, it's a short letter as far as letter. So, um, in um, in our standard e expository form, the first question to ask when you read a text is: uh, Are questions related to observations? So, who is in the account, what is going on, where is this happening, when is this happening, and why is this happening. So who in the text is Paul, Timothy, and Silas? And uh, there is also a lot of reference to the, th uh, the, to the church in Thessalonica. And uh, of note, when I say Paul today, 
sometimes I'm going to be talking about Paul, Timothy, and Silas. You know, um, so just just be mindful of that. What is going on? Paul, Timothy, and Silas write this letter expressing their love and concern to this young church. In the letter, they address all of the things that Timothy observed when he went to spend some time with that church, and uh, he reported back to Paul. And Paul now writes this letter in response to Timothy's response uh, to Timothy's re- report. Um, in the letter, they talk about how much they miss. The Thessalonians, they encourage the things that the church is doing well. They reminisce about the time that they were together, and they also look forward to Christ's return. This is the first of Paul's letters. This is the first letter that Paul wrote. Where is all of this happening? Thessalonica is a um, was the capital of Macedonia and a prominent uh, Greek province. Thessalonica still exists to this day. It had a seaport, which still exists, and a major Roman road. So there was a lot of trade going on in this town. Where there is a lot of trade, um, even the uh, where there's a lot of trade means there's a lot of cultural diversity. So there was a lot of just very different things. There were a lot of very different things happening in Thessalonica at this time. Uh, even though it was part of the Roman Empire, the Roman army did not have a garrison in Thessalonica because it was such an important city. Uh, Rome did not want to annoy Thessalonica, and so they kind of did their own thing, but they were part of the Roman Empire. Um, when Timothy leaves Paul to go, uh, Timothy leaves Paul in Athens. They were all in Athens. Timothy leaves to go to Thessalonica, and he returns to Paul and meets him in Corinth. So this letter is most likely written in Corinth. Um, the, 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 the time in Acts, in the story of Acts, the letter is written probably around Acts 18, but the planting of the church happens in Acts 17, so uh, those accounts are, are in Acts. Um, they visited Thessalonica in Acts 17 um, after their beating and imprisonment in Philippi, uh, where most of us would have taken a mental health break. Uh, Paul just kept going forward. It's like, th- these are things that need to be done, and he kept moving, and so he showed up in Thessalonica, and uh, he preached there in the synagogue for about three weeks, well, for four, three, three Sabbaths, and uh, the Jews determined that they were going to have nothing to do with him, and so he decided that he was going to focus on teaching the Gentiles. When the Jews found out that he was getting a following with the Gentiles, then um, they gathered some rowdy people and they stormed the house where Paul and these guys were staying, the house of a man named Jason. Jason was arrested, Jason had to pay a fine to get out of prison, they really really wanted the apostles but the church hid them and snuck them out at night. So um, so the, the, the infant Thessalonian church was born in opposition and even after Paul left they were still facing a lot of opposition. Primarily I would guess because a lot of people in this time in the Roman Empire were supposed to worship Caesar. A lot of accounts and acts when you read, they say um, even even before Jesus is crucified, uh, if you let they they tell Pilate if you let Jesus go, you're not a friend of Caesar because Jesus, they were saying, is claiming to be king, and Caesar is supposed to be our king and our God. And so these guys who are teaching that there's no king but Jesus. Are um, were causing quite a lot of trouble and facing a lot of resistance. Um, so Paul's concern and Paul's reason to write this letter is because he loves this church 
and he realizes that adversity can kill a fledgling church. Adversity will kill young believers, and he could not stay with them long enough to make sure that they were stable, and so he does the next best thing. So in Thessalonians, uh, in First Thessalonians 1, um, he, he asks, at, uh, well, in Thessalonians, uh, in chapter 5, he asks that the letter be read to the whole church and all of the other churches in the area. So be mindful that as you read through this letter and as you read through most of Paul's letters, when he says you, he's talking to a plural you. He's talking about multiple people, not just you, the individual reading the letter. Uh, that changes the sense of certain things that he says. Um, he begins, as he will end up doing with most of his letters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He he identifies the church and notes that the church is born of God the Father and Jesus Christ. There is no church that should exist outside of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's just that's just how it is. That is the definition of church. So uh, we believe and we are gathered here because the grace of God the Father was expressed by Jesus, who was born, lived a sinless life, died, and resurrected, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent. That is the definition of church. That, that is how church is born, and that should be our primary identity. The Lord is our only source of grace and peace. That's the other thing that Paul says in all of his letters, grace to you and peace. And that only comes from the Lord. Um, so he then talks about the good reputation that the church has in Macedonia and Achaia um, and their labor and love how they're patiently waiting and hopeful for the return of Jesus they received the gospel when it was presented to them they became followers of Christ and they started to take the gospel outside of their own church so this reputation they had was not because they were sitting in their little home church all facing inwards and saying, all right, let's just hang on, Jesus is coming. No, they took that good news out of the church and shared it with their neighbors and shared it with other people in the region. And that is how all of these reports ended up with Paul. Paul would show up to preach at some place. This is all happening in my head. It's not in the Bible. Paul would show up to preach at some place and they'll be like, oh yeah, you guys teaching the same Jesus that the guys from Thessalonica were talking about a few weeks ago? You know. Um, so they were taking the gospel outside of, of their church and sharing it with their communities. It is the hope of every pastor, every teacher, every preacher, that the word is received and propagated outside of the church building. It is also God's will, in case you didn't know. The Great Commission tells us to share the good news of Jesus everywhere. The purpose of the church is to share Christ with all the world. We're not to just keep him in our doors and save him for ourselves. There's enough of him to go around. And we learn in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that we will only do this effectively through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not something that, that, that we do ourselves. In chapter 2, probably in light of what other people and preachers were saying about him, or to emphasize something that he'll say later in the letter, Paul reviews how he behaved while he was in Thessalonica. They suffered, but they were bold in teaching the, the, in teaching the gospel, in spite of all of the conflict, 
He expresses confidence in the appointment of the Thessalonians by God to be ambassadors of Christ and shows this because he's not swayed by men's opinions. Paul always talks about how he does what he does because he loves people and he's obeying the Lord. He's not bothered by what, by what people think about him. His ministry was not built on pleasing people. He also points out how much work he did while he was there. He worked in teaching all of these people. He worked most likely in making tents like he normally did so that he could sustain himself. That way he did not need anyone to support him. Um, let me see. Sorry, I lost my spot. Making tents and uh, so that so that he did not need to impose on this newborn church to support his needs. He compares himself and his team to a mother who is gentle as she nurses her child, who gives nourishment to this child from her own body, who demands nothing from that child, even though Paul as an apostle could have demanded that they take care of him. He talks about this with Timothy in First, Tim in First Timothy chapter 5. But at this point, he decided, no, he was going to take care of his own needs um, so that he would not hinder them. He worked for his upkeep, he preached the gospel, and he shared his life with these new believers. He was a father to them, encouraging, challenging, and strengthening so that they would walk worthy of God. After seeing this and experiencing the power of God, they were converted. They forsook their Greek and Roman gods. They stopped worshipping Caesar and they turned to the living God. Two things here in chapter 2. First is, church does not just happen at church. We are here for two to three hours. I have no idea how many hours are in a week. We spend a very short time here. If we are convinced that this is the only place that church happens, we are at a loss. Church does not just happen here. Church must happen outside of these walls. We should allow the Lord to use us in whatever way he pleases in one another's lives outside of this building. In our discussion at the retreat, many people said how loving this church was, that you take care of one another. When someone is, is in need, you guys step up and help. This is the kind of stuff that Paul and his team was do, were doing with the Thessalonians. The kind of stuff that you should keep doing. The kind of stuff that you want your church to be known for. A little boy in Chicago attended D.L. Moody's church. I'm quite sure he had no idea who D.L. Moody was or that he was a big deal. He was just... Um, but this little boy had to walk a long way and passed many churches to get to this particular church. And when he was asked why, he responded, they love a fellow there. They love me there. I've experienced your love. Your coffee house thing is great. It was brilliant from the time it was conceived. Your Bible teaching is top notch. But be known for loving people. Two, how do we walk worthy of God? I mean, we'll never be worthy. We'll never deserve the Lord or his goodness. We are saved and sustained by grace through faith. So how do we walk worthy of God? Turn to Colossians chapter 1. 
Colossians chapter 1 starting from verse 9 And so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I find the answer to how we walk worthy in the first three verses of that, verse 9, 10, and 11. Be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. What exactly do I mean? So we walk worthy of God by knowing God's will, by seeking God to know what his will is. We do that in his word. That is where the will of God is. It is not in the clouds somewhere. It is in his word. Um, we walk worthy of God by having godly wisdom and spiritual understanding, including an understanding of grace. We are declared worthy, we are kept worthy, so we walk worthy. Yes, it does kind of turn into this roundabout thing, but that's good. Um, John chapter 10, verse 27 to 30 talks about that, as does Timothy 1, verse 12. We walk worthy of God by walking in a way that pleases God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. We walk worthy of God by doing the good works that God foreordained us to walk in. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. And if we're doing the things that God foreordained us to walk in, we are going to be fruitful. There are many of us who feel like we're lemon trees in God's garden and we're looking over at the blueberry bush and be like, wow, there's so much more cool stuff happening at the blueberry bush. I'm going to try to make blueberries because that looks like... You're a lemon tree. Just make lemons. Do the things that the Lord has called you to do. Because if you try to do something else, you're going to be frustrated and it's not going to work. And you can't conclude from that, well, God doesn't work through me because, no, just be obedient. We walk worthy by increasing in the knowledge of God which we do by knowing Jesus. John 14, verse 8 to 11. That Jesus is the word of God. John 1, verse 1. So, how do you walk worthy? They had a little song about this when I was young. Read your Bible, pray every day. And I will add, obey. In chapter 3, knowing how the church was born and the trials that they continued to face, Paul was very concerned for their well-being. The Greek in chapter 2, verse 17, um, in my Bible it says something 
uh, but since we were torn away from you, there is a sense of the Thessalonians being left as orphans in Paul, Timothy, and Silas's departure. It wasn't, you know, all right, guys, see you. No, it was, where did they go? What happened? Right? And so he was very concerned for, uh, for them. Um, many ministries die when the founder leaves. Many ministries fall into disarray especially a sudden and unplanned departure. So in his concern, he sent Timothy to, to check on them and to minister to them and to bring him a report. So um, so this letter comes around. I love Paul's prayers. There's, there's a short little prayer at the, the bottom section of chapter 3. Um, he uses very simple but incredibly timeless words. We will always need God's help to love one another. And so we should never stop asking the Lord to teach us to love one another, to establish our hearts in holiness. These are things that we need and can pray for every single day of our lives. I don't find Paul spending much time praying for temporal things. Yes, they're important. Mitch is not is not feeling well. We should pray for Mitch. But more than we pray for Mitch's physical being, the Lord is impressing upon me the need to pray more upward than outward. Because with all of the best health and all of the best provision, if our spiritual lives are in shambles, it's worthless. So our prayers should be more focused on the spiritual things. Colossians chapter 3, verse... Um, Colossians chapter, turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll read from there. Colossians chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The things that are above, that's, that's where we want to be. That's where we're all aspiring to end up, right? So let's start thinking about that. Let's start praying about that instead of focusing on what's going on down here where most of us really don't want to be in the first place, right? Um, yes, we pray for people's physical needs. And if we're honest, that's most of what we pray for, earthbound things but we need to shift our focus above. The other examples of Paul's similar prayers are in Philippians 1 and Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 discusses purity because there was impurity in the church, worship of Greek and Roman gods, sometimes involved sacrifices and some sexual stuff. In addition, prostitution was legal at this time. So there was a lot of stuff that was normal in their society, in their very culturally diverse society, that was not right for the church to take part in. So Paul started to address that. Uh, we talked at the retreat about the secrecy surrounding sexual immorality in the church today. I pray that this would be one of those rare churches where it is safe to talk to someone about that. No one will throw rocks at you. You'll be ministered to with love and humility, yes, a direct focus on killing that sin. We're not going to coddle it but that will be done with love and humility. Sin thrives in secrecy. 
So repent to the Lord, repent one brother to another, one sister to another, and shine the light of the word on it. Paul also teaches that they ought to take not to take advantage of one another, to make sure that they mastered their lusts, they, ma- they mastered their feelings. Society teaches us that feelings are powerful. Yeah, they are. They should not be as powerful as they are in our lives. TV and pop music will teach us that we should not fight our feelings. Right? What was that? It's 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 an an oldish song. If loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right or something like that. No. Reason should reason should supersede feelings. The Bible teaches us to possess our own vessels uh, here. My, uh, my, my translation says, let me look for it here, um, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Our bodies, our thoughts, our emotions, they're not just things that, will, that, that we should leave to run off. And it's something that we have to train to do. We have to train to control our bodies, to control our feelings, to control the wicked chaos that our minds sometimes are. Feelings must be subject to thought and to the word of God. And the person who does not do this, Paul says, rejects God. He also challenges them to leave to, to live useful lives, to be good stewards of the lives God has given them. If you can work, then work to take care of your needs. Do not mooch off the church, do not mooch off the state, because working is right. Verse 12, so that you may walk properly towards those who are outside. Our testimony is more than just words. We used to say at my high school, actions speak louder than arguments. We can argue all day, but if your actions are way over here, that's what everyone is going to focus on. Last in this section, he talks about the return of the Lord. He tells them that when Jesus returns, the rapture, their friends who have died in Christ will rise first. Those who are alive will meet the Lord in the sky, as Jesus promised in John chapter 14. He said he'll be coming back, and he is coming back. This is a crucial doctrine in the Christian faith. If Jesus is not coming back, um, what are we doing here? <laughs> if Jesus is not coming back, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we're still in our sins, and all of this is a waste of time, effort, money, resources. Jesus is coming back. So how we live our lives today matters through eternity. We spent a lot of time here at the retreat. The main point was the statement, aspire to lead a quiet life. We spend most of our lives doing mundane things. And we ought to focus on doing those things for the glory of God. So instead of waiting to start, uh, to start ministry when I become a leader in the church, I should start to lead my household in the pursuit of the Lord. I should love my wife. I should be a good exemplary employee. I should love my literal and proverbial neighbors. Jesus said in a parable, if you're faithful with little, you'll be made faithful over much. And so if your desire really is 
to serve the Lord in some capacity, then you start now with the little that you have. When you show yourself faithful in that, then the Lord will expand. Don't sit and wait for some big ministry opportunity and do nothing in the meantime. The Lord is impressing upon me the significance of living for Him in the day-to-day, not just for the times when I'm asked to teach. I should be reading my Bible every day. I should serve my wife, I should serve my neighbors, I should serve my co-workers. I should worship the Lord with the mundane things in my life. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul um, has taught the church about the timing of the Lord's return, the fact that nobody knows, I'm sure, is what he told them. And he does not see the need to rewrite about it because it's something that they covered. In my experience, the return of the Lord is not something that is standard teaching to new believers. And I think that is a very dangerous thing because as we mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, it is a significant part of Christian doctrine. These new believers were taught this doctrine and it was their comfort as they failed, uh, as they faced the adversity in their lives. Notice in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, the return of the Lord was part of Paul's um, evangelistic message. It is a primary theme in both of his letters to this church. What hope do we have when life is just absolutely wretched? If we cannot, if we do not hope in the fact that Jesus is coming back. Paul gives two contrasting examples in chapter 5. He talks about children of darkness and children of light. He talks about people who are asleep and people who are awake. Children of darkness are asleep, children of light awake. The heathen, the child of darkness, is unaware and they will proclaim peace and safety in the eve of destruction. They're in the dark. They have no idea what is going on. They have no idea of the times. The astute believer is mindful of the Lord's return. They live in the light of the knowledge that Jesus is coming back. They watch. They are awake. They are sober. He speaks of an attitude of, of life here. He's not saying that from now on, nobody sleeps until Jesus comes back. We tried that with rats in a lab and they didn't make it past 32 hours. They died. Um <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. Peace and safety, the statement that he makes, they say peace and safety, uh, speaks forward to a prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where there will be peace for seven years, but that peace is going to end very abruptly. People are going to get comfortable in that seven years, and that peace will end abruptly. Now, um, when that happens, that happens after the rapture. The rapture occurs, the church goes. So rapture is that last section of chapter 4. The church goes. The seven years of peace is happening after the rapture. Why is Paul telling people who won't be there what's going to happen after they're gone? Because all of that had to be taught to us. If he didn't teach them, we probably wouldn't find out about it, right? So... He tells them so that they teach others 
And many, many years later, here we are, still preparing for his return. The rapture in chapter 4 is very different from the day of the Lord, which is in chapter 5. Strictly, the day the Lord has many days, but that term refers to any period where the Lord, where, where God um, has some supernatural intervention. So Joel chapter 2, uh, Isaiah chapter 13, and Zephaniah chapter 1 all reference the day of the Lord. But there is this final, ultimate day of the Lord that is going to happen, that begins at the rapture and ends at the great white throne judgment. The main thing here is that we need to be aware of the Lord's return. It should strengthen us to action for his kingdom's sake so that we will have in our labor, in our fruit, crowns to throw at his feet. It should encourage us in our trials with the knowledge that our trials will end. The Lord will avenge. The Lord of all the earth will do right. At the end of the day, he will make all things right. I'm glad you guys continue to make a big deal of pastor's appreciation. As cool as John and Bill and David and your, your, your leaders are, they are to be esteemed. Yes, every once in a while it's good to wear Pastor Bill's face on popsicle sticks and freak him out. <laughs> so we need to do it again, right? <laughs> But when they come up to teach, they are God's spokespersons. They are to be held in high regard, even though you may not agree with them. The Lord gave a tough object lesson to Miriam, Moses' sister, when uh, at one point she decided, I'm done with Moses. He is just, my little brother is such a bother. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. I used to change your diapers. The Lord was not happy about that. Miriam spent a few weeks as a leper because she resisted her little brother, the man God called to lead the people of Israel. So, recognize also the weight of the position. I'll speak frankly and say there's a lot of weight that comes with proclaiming the word of God. There's a lot of weight that comes with leading a church. We cannot be clinical and impersonal when dealing with the Word of God. And so every time we are preparing to teach, God is dealing with us. And we step up here in varying levels of just soreness from all that the Lord is doing. Be mindful of that. When you are doing great, you're going to tell Pastor Bill. When someone is doing absolutely horrible they're going to tell Pastor Bill he has to deal with all of that as he talks to all of you. So, yes, he agreed to do it. The Lord called him to it and he agreed. The Lord strengthens him and he depends on the Lord, but we still have a part to love and pray for them and to serve them as much as we can. In the end of the book, Paul runs through various exhortations that we're not going to expound. Notice that the Lord des desires ministry for people where they are. When you're unruly, you need warning. When you're faint, you need to be strengthened. When you're weak, you need assistance up. The Lord meets us and, and, and ministers to us where we are. We need to do the same for others. 
minister to people where they are. Don't be like, all right, come on up here and then I'll help you. <laughs> Go down, come alongside of people as you minister to them. Rejoice always, pray continuously, give thanks in all things. Oh dear. These are really short, punchy verses. When your job is rubbish, rejoice, pray, give thanks. When your children are exasperating brats, rejoice, pray, give thanks, and discipline. Um, when people speak ill of you, When you're treated unfairly, Rejoice, pray, this front row is really good. <laughs> for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's not something that we just wake up and be like, yep, whatever happens today, I'm going to rejoice, pray, and give thanks. It's something that we need to determine to do, and it's something that the Lord strengthens us to do. Rejoice, Pray and give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How does a mere human quench the Spirit of God? I mean, he is the all-powerful Spirit of God. He controls everything that happens in the whole world. How can I quench his Spirit? The wonderful thing about the Lord is that he does not force himself on us. We agree to receive him and he comes in he will not barge through and so for all of his authority when the spirit nudges we can obey or we resist and every time we resist imagine that rivers of living water that the Holy Spirit is that Jesus talks about in John every time you resist imagine taking a rock and just throwing it into that river and every time you resist you just take a rock and throw it in there Eventually, that river is going to be dammed up, and it won't be a river anymore. That's how you resist, you quench the Spirit of God. When our spiritual plumbing is just clogged up with sin and disobedience, listen and obey. The Spirit, if we listen and obey, will give us insight into prophecies. He will give us insight to test all things. He will strengthen us to abstain and stay away from evil. At the end of the book, Paul gives a pretty routine closing, another example of Paul's amazing prayer style. I'll point out verse 26, that there is, in, in this and other letters, at this time, churches were bringing in people from very different walks of life, people who would not be seen together. Masters were going to church with their slaves. Right, And so he had to emphasize to greet one another with a holy kiss because this place was the great equalizer. When we came into worship, we were all the same before the throne of God. And so even though people may not have been greeting one another in the streets, I'm not going to greet my slave. That, no, don't, I don't do that. But when they were in worship, and which is why he found it important to do that. There should be no division in the church, no hierarchy, no high school cliques. I've been here longer than everybody. <laughs> We're all children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. So, application, conclusion. Stewardship of the word. 
stewardship of the gifts and the abilities that the Lord has given us. Where you are, with what you have, serve God now. What you have is enough for right now. He'll give you more in time. Live in light of Jesus' return. Live in life of Jesus' return. We want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant, when we show up. That will only happen if we live our lives focused on the fact that he's coming back and doing everything in light of the fact that he's coming back. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Thank you so much for inviting us here. We love you guys. We strive to pray for you more and more than we currently do. Pray for us that the Lord would do these same things in our lives. I say it at the retreat, you ask a guy to teach at your church and you expect Tom Hanks at the Oscars and instead you get Tom Hanks close to the end of Castaway. His hair is up to here, he's got this wild beard, he's barely wearing pants and he's talking to a volleyball. I, I don't have it figured out. I don't have it figured out. And even though Bill Scott looks like he does, he doesn't. <laughs> so pray for us. Pray for us. Forgetting what has passed, look forward and strive to attain all that Christ has for me. This weekend was very challenging for me, and, and I desire greatly that it, it will be a watershed moment in my life. It is not a contest, but um, I may have come out better in this exchange. So thank you. Let us pray. Lord of hosts, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that you're doing in all of our lives. And Father, help us, help us to walk humbly, Help us to walk in obedience. Help us to love one another. Help us to rejoice in all of our struggling, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all things. Help us to be good stewards of the gifts that you have given, and help us to ever be mindful of the fact that you are coming back, and to be excited for that day. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.